everybody has a role to play according to their station. And I think the new Criterion's role for the 30 years that I've read it is to inform the reader that intellectualism or theory or the letters or the arts and music, all of those uh, noble pursuits are not the domain of a, of a left-wing elite. That's Victor Davis Hansen, and this is a special edition of the new Criterion from the Edmund Burke Award for Service to Culture and Society. I'm James Panero, Executive Editor. Victor is the 2018 recipient of our Burke Award, and he sat down with us on the eve of his award dinner for a discussion of Burke, Trump, and all things TNC. Victor Davis Hansen is the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, where he focuses on classics in military history. He has written or edited over 20 books, including his most recent, The Second World Wars, published in October 2017 by Basic Books. He is a syndicated columnist for Tribune Media Services and a weekly columnist for National Review Online and American Greatness. The title of Victor's talk was Burke Today. So we asked him first, why Burke? Why today? Recently, Edmund Burke has been evoked a lot, especially in the age of Trump, as a perceived custodian, 18th century custodian of traditionalism, conservative values in the sense that um, Britain and the Anglo-speaking sphere was more able or better able to insulate itself from the revolutionary pressures that swept Europe. And one of the reasons was that there had been a agreement of the orders in the Roman sense or the classes and that simple folk, shopkeepers, small landowners, small business people were an insulating effect and that uh, change was absorbed incrementally, insidiously, rather than abruptly. And so he was a spokesman for this idea that you take a deep breath and you bring in all different views and you uh, err on the side of wisdom of the past rather than experiment with the future. That being said, he was an enemy both of radical democracy, of unchecked government by 51%, as well as uh, absolute monarchy or autocracy. As an historian, Victor writes often about the subject of populism, interweaving ancient and modern examples. We asked him to elaborate on his presentation at the Burke Award and how populism factors into his historical thinking. I, I, I'm going to outline very briefly that there are two types of populism, and we talk about populism very commonly today. And Populism in the ancient world where it started at the dawn of civiliza Western civilization was usually defined as either bad or good, and it's flipped from our notions. If you're in the media or the progressive movement or the universities, populism is good if it's the Bernie Sanders type redistribution of wealth, larger government, more inclusive uh, action and in, uh, intervention in the economy, redistribution, property, cancellation of debt. And that was true in antiquity. But in antiquity, that, that type of populism was seen as disruptive, dangerous, associated with the demagogue in, in Greece, Cleon, for example, in the Peloponnesian War, or Catiline in the conspiracy in Rome. And then it has a, a legacy throughout Europe. We, we associate it with the French rather than the American Revolution, and more the revolutions of 1848 
today, maybe Occupy, Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. The other populism was welcomed by people as diverse as Machiavelli, Tocqueville, Burke, and it was an a, uh, activism or a robustness of the small property-owning classes. And these were the people really that are responsible for the creation of the city-state in antiquity. Most constitutions in Western civilization grew up on the idea of protecting small property owners. And by that I mean they could not be alienated arbitrarily from their land and they could pass on the improvements to it through constitutional protections of inheritance. And that tradition is much more a stabilizing effect. It, it opposes imperialism, it opposes overseas intervention, it opposes large government, it wants less rather than more government as a, as a solution. And we, we, again, associate with the American Revolution, certain elements in our own past, the Jacksonian Revolution, the whiskey, earlier Whiskey Rebellion, and um, Today, I think it'd be with the Reagan Democratic Movement, the Tea Party, the deplorable irredeemables, the people who flipped the election to Donald Trump. And they have a very, it's not a reactionary agenda, but the agenda is that government's got too permanent, or the bureaucracy's got too much, it's, it's too big, we're turning into a Versailles-like monstrosity, and the needs and the aspirations of traditional communities that are very important as stewards of tradition and custom are being eroded. And so we see these two. Today they're not popular. That type of populism, is, which was the favored populism of antiquity, is now frowned upon. We next asked Victor to tell us a little bit about his most recent book called The Second World Wars. Well, to write a new book on World War II, because 7,000 books come out a year, dealing with some part of the war, you have to have a new approach or a different approach rather than just starting with the invasion of Poland and ending up with the atomic bomb. So what I tried to do was uh, arrange the book according to the experience or the methodology of war. Chapters were called water or fire or ground. What was the air campaign? To what degree did it alter? What, to what degree was it stupid, smart, wise? To what degree did it ships? Uh, play a major role in the war, to what degree did ground troops. If ships did play a naval, which, which were more effective, submarines or battleships or carriers. So I'm trying to evaluate the efficacy of all of the entire war, the way it was actually fought by modality. And then second, uh, thematically, throughout all of those chapters, there's certain themes. And one of the, the great ones was that Italy and Germany and Japan, by the nature of their economy, their manpower uh, resources, and the way they organized their economies and military, were in no position to wage a global war. And once their regional conflicts were very successful, by 1941, I mean, all of what is now the European Union was under German control, and Italy basically had a sizable presence in the Mediterranean, protected by German power. And, the greater Asia co-prosperity sphere had absorbed much of the European orphan colonies in the Dutch East Indies and Southeast Asia. That was over. They won. And then the war entered a new phase, hence the title of Second World Wars of the invasion, all in one year, the invasion of the Soviet Union 
in June of 1941, the attack on Pearl Harbor, and then the disastrous decision of Germany and Italy to declare war in the United States. At that point, the war became global. And if you look at the assets that Russia, Soviet Union, the United States, Britain, and its Commonwealth brought into this new global war, it was pretty much foreordained that the Axis were going to lose. Going back to one of Victor's great essays for the new criterion, we asked him to elaborate on the new learning that failed, an essay he wrote for us in May 2008 on the value of classical education. Yeah, I think what happened in the university in general and society in general as well is that the left said to America, the family unit, the local community, organized religion, all of these, the business world, all of these entities are somehow not progressive or they're biased or they're, they don't meet the aspirations of equality and fraternity or egalitarianism. But the university uh, is a place where we can capture the minds of youth for four, five, six years. So we don't have to be unbiased or disinterested in education because all these other entities that surround the individual are biased. So therefore, we're going to have this campaign, if I could use that word, of studies, leisure studies, environmental studies, uh, race studies, gender studies. And each one of them is going to try to condition a young person so they, when they graduate, we don't really care whether they have a hierarchy of knowledge, they, have, they, they write and speak well, or they know reference of Western civilization or other civilization. But they're going to be prepared to take on the community, to take on the corporation, to take on um, the local, uh, the family unit and traditional marriage, whatever it is. And therefore, we're not biased because they have this preponderant power. Now we do. And, and so we're preparing social justice warriors to take on existing norm. So what's to be done? What can be done about the progressive track of our culture? That's a big question, existential question. I think we have to get away from, um, I think we have to go back to regionalism and localism. We have to get away from these grand theories uh, on the left that society always gets better every year and it's preordained that we're going to be material it's nice that we are, but it's not historically valid. And that we're progressing, and I think Barack Obama called the arc of history breaks in a particular progressive way. And that then stifles individual objections or uh, dissent or creativity when we say, you know, that's not correct, or that's nativist, or that's xenophobic, or that's racist, because it doesn't fit the narrative. And the narrative is that we're all going to be very happy and we're going to be very prosperous if you just let a, a paternalistic government take care of it and arrange and, and, and fit people to particular slots. And on the, I think on the right suffered a well, as well sort of the idea that free market capitalist economics, which is all that really works, nevertheless can be inclusive. So if you sort of allow people liberty and go out and make, do whatever you want economically, then we should have that libertarianism uh, absorb all aspects of life. And so whether it's education or whether it's culture or whether it's government, we're going to put, first of all, free choice and unlimited choice because it works with economics and therefore economics will determine everything. And so more concretely, if 
you believe in free trade and China is cheating on free trade and is demanding certain asymmetric, asymmetrical peril protocols and that's putting people in Bakersfield out of business, then the free market says, well, that might be good that they go broke as a creative destruction as the, as the cost of more efficiency and productivity and wealth. And I think that's quite dangerous because we could say, well, in the process of them going broke, there's a half a million people's lives were wrecked. So I'm, I think we need to get step back from these grand theories of progress. Finally, we asked Victor what he finds redeeming in American culture today. One of the strangest things about our culture, and it's inherent in logic of the Constitution, is that we're the only country in the world that you can't identify American by his superficial appearance. And that's not true anywhere else. We forget that, uh, unfortunately. If you or I or anybody in this room wanted to be a citizen of China, we don't look Chinese, we're not gonna be accepted. If I wanna go to Mexico and say, I, I really like Mexican culture better than California, I just wanna be a Mexican national, I can't do it. I won't fully ever be accepted. And yet, we have sort of, we're pretty, we're, we're stepping back sometimes, but the amazing popular culture's ability to assimilate, integrate, intermarry American, this should, and it usually does, make appearance and race and ethnic belief incidental rather than essential to a person's character. And throughout history, anybody who does not identify with a tribe usually is liberated, uh, if, and they're not confined by tribalism. Tribalism is a rule of thumb in most of the world that you, you predicate your beliefs and your allegiances on the basis of similarity in appearance. That was Victor Davis Hansen, here for a special edition of the New Criterion podcast, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at newcriterion.com. I'm James Pinero. Victor is the 2018 winner of the New Criterion's Edmund Burke Award for Service to Culture and Society. A version of his Burke Award presentation appears in the June 2018 edition of the New Criterion as our lead feature, titled The Good Populism. For more from the Burke Award, including the full video of Victor's presentation, be sure to visit our media page at newcriterion.com media. Thanks for joining us.